Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man and in high favor with his master, because by him God had given victory to Aram. The man, though a mighty warrior, suffered from leprosy. Now the Arameans on one of their raids had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my lord were with the, with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord just what the girl from the land of Israel had said. And the king of Aram said, Go then, and I will send along a letter to the king of Israel. He went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of garments. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you my servant Naaman, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to give death or life? that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Just look and see how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me, that he may learn that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and halted at the entrance of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be, re be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became angry and went away, saying, I thought that for me he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of his sovereign God and would wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? He turned and went away in a rage. But his servants approached and said to him, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said to you was, wash and be clean? So he went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. Please pray with me. Holy God, as we gather around your written word and your living word, heal us, make us whole, Empower us to bless the world you love. Amen. Naaman is a powerful man. He is a powerful general in the powerful army of a powerful kingdom. The kingdom of Aram has just defeated the kingdom of Israel in battle, and what's more, the God of Israel was the one who brought the victory to the kingdom of Aram. And Naaman... The general brought it all home. The text says that Naaman is highly regarded in the sight of his king, and that's just about as high as you can get without being king yourself. But Naaman has a problem. Naaman has a skin disease, and none of his power or privilege has been able to change that. Not his wealth, not his military prowess, not the high regard of the king. 
But in one of their military raids, the army of Aram has pillaged Israel, and Naaman is taken into captivity and enslaved as a servant in his house, a young girl from Israel. This young girl sees her enslaver's problem, and she says to her mistress, Oh, if only my master would go and see the prophet in Israel, in Samaria, the prophet would heal him. And this word works its way up the chain of power and reaches Naaman, and Naaman takes it to his king and asks for leave to go and see this prophet. So the king of Aram writes a letter to the king of Israel, who is now his vassal, and says, Heal my servant. Naaman takes the letter, loads up his chariots with treasures, and heads off to Israel. But the king of Israel doesn't know what to do. He can't cure a skin disease. But the prophet Elisha sends word to the king, send Naaman to me. I will heal him, and he'll know that there's a prophet in Israel. And so Naaman and his chariots and all their riches roll off to the prophet's hut, and there Naaman is in all his glory with all his silver and all his gold, all his shekels, all his power, and all of his people standing there in front of this little hut. And the door of the hut opens up, and a servant hurries out with a message from Elisha. Go wash yourself. Go wash yourself in the Jordan seven times. That's it. Maybe Naaman turned the scroll over (laughs) to, to see if there was anything written on the other side. That's it. And then Naaman gets mad. He goes into a rage. Wash myself in the Jordan, that dirty river. Ha! Aram has much better rivers. We've got the Abana and the Farpar. And who does this so-called prophet think he is anyway? Not even coming out to meet me. Does he know who I am? I'm Naaman, victorious general of the victorious army of the victorious king of Aram. And Naaman is done with this prophet and he storms away. But Naaman's servant runs after him tugs his sleeve, and Naaman stops, and the servant says, Master, if he told you to do something big, wouldn't you have done it? How much more when he simply says, wash and be cleansed? Why wouldn't you do the small thing he asks? And something registers with Naaman, because Naaman is hurting He has a skin disease, and none of his power or privilege has been able to bring him the healing he needs. Not his victories, not his position, not his shekels. There's not even a heroic task that Naaman can accomplish to bring about his healing. Naaman needs a word of healing. He just doesn't know what or where it is. Naaman can't just fix this. We talked last summer about how wisdom begins in not knowing. We know not, and then we can learn. At some point, Naaman gets it. Naaman knows that he knows not. So Naaman leaves his chariot and all his people and all the treasure he's brought. Naaman leaves all that behind, and Naaman goes down to the river, and he wades on in stripped of all his power and his privilege, and he washes himself seven times, and he comes up out of the river, healed, restored, 
and whole. And then Naaman goes before Elisha, whom he now meets face to face, and Naaman says, there is a God. Your God is my God. Setting aside his power and his privilege, Naaman encounters God and receives that healing word. Now, it took Naaman a while. It took him a while to find this healing word, but it was there in this text all along, moving Naaman step by step toward healing But where was it? Or better yet, who has the word? Who had that word? Well, the obvious answer is the prophet Elisha. Elisha tells Naaman to go down to the river and wash seven times, but Elisha, he doesn't even come out of his hut. Who else really makes things happen here? Well, well, we have Naaman's servant, a servant brave enough to tug on his raging master's sleeve. He speaks a word of healing that convinces this powerful man that maybe, just maybe, he knows not. This servant has neither power nor privilege, just a word of wisdom. And then there is a young woman, an enslaved woman, right at the beginning of the story who sets all of this into motion. She has felt the brunt of war. The Aramean army has conquered her people, probably burned her village, and in violence they have taken her captive. She is enslaved in Naaman's house. She knows what it is to hurt. In the world of this text, this woman has virtually no power and no privilege, but she has a word. She has the word that will heal Naaman. This woman has wisdom. She knows that she knows. In this text, the people who know, the ones who bring the word of healing, they are the people with the absolute least amount of power and privilege. A prophet, but a prophet from a weaker kingdom, a servant and another servant, and a young woman who is an enslaved captive in a foreign land. No privilege, no power, but a word that will heal even the mighty. For Naaman, it is in that place of not knowing, of not relying on his own power, his own resources, where he has to rely on others. It's in that place that Naaman encounters God and that God brings a word. God brings a word of healing to Naaman, not in his power and privilege, but in his vulnerability, in the honesty that comes from naming his deepest need and leaning into God. Notice what doesn't work so well for Naaman. He can't force his own healing. He can't wrestle this one to the ground. His power over is of little use. In fact, he has to let go of that before he can find his way to healing. There is no grand gesture, no heroic, Herculean task he can do, and it doesn't work very much when he tries to do this all on his own. I feel for Naaman. I know what that looks like. I know that a lot of times with life's problems, big and small, just tell me what to do, and I'll do it. I'll get it done. I'll power through. I'm strong, resourceful, and independent. This imperfect life, I want to believe I can fix it all on my own. And look where Naaman's journey leads him through the mess of all that, down to the river, 
stripped of all pretense of power and privilege, leaning into a word of a minor prophet from a vanquished nation and a healing word delivered by a a servant, actually three servants, those with the least power over in the story. They know what he knows not. I wonder, I wonder how far Naaman will let this experience heal and change him. There's, there's more to the story. A whole other story follows this one. And in the wake of this healing, Naaman does become generous. But I wonder, I wonder if Naaman heals enough to now pay that servant who saved his life a meaningful wage. I wonder if when he returns home, that young girl he enslaved, whose word that set all of his healing in motion, will he set her free? They speak the words that will heal Naaman. Set down your power over and your privilege. Go do a small thing and you will find God's healing power there. Did you know that there is a saint of small things? We don't talk often, or I don't talk often, of the saints of the Roman Catholic tradition. Maybe that's because we have a different understanding of saints. Presbyterians and Protestants proclaim the communion of the saints. All of us claimed by God, equally gifted, called, and graced by God. All of us saints. The Catholic tradition lifts up particular saints and their particular miraculous lives. And then there's St. Teresa, St. Therese of Lisieux, Beloved not for great heroic feats, but for her embrace of the grace of small things, what she called the little way. Therese of Lisieux lived at the turn of the last century. She lived a hard life, a brief life, and she died at 24. She lived her life within the convent, and when she knew she wouldn't live long, she decided, as one person has described it, to live her ordinary life with limitless love. As Therese herself wrote, how am I to show my love? Great deeds are forbidden me. The only way I can show my love is by scattering flowers. And these flowers are every little sacrifice, Every loving glance and word and the doing of the small action for love. Kate Bowler writes, There are many great acts of love that are great because they are massive, monumental, and earth-shattering. And and there are some that are great because they are incremental. Each small act adds up to something spectacular. Small acts great love. We are called to acts of love, to engage the big issues of our day and help make big change for the good of all. Just as often, maybe more often in our daily lives, we have the opportunity, abundant opportunities, to move ourselves and the world toward healing by doing the next small good thing. Maybe it is a phone call to someone you haven't seen in a while to check in and see how they're doing. Maybe it's that next postcard that you're sending in support of voting rights, one postcard to one person, encouraging them to find their voice and help them to secure their rights, one postcard, one of the thousands of postcards this congregation has sent into the world. Maybe it's showing up and doing the thing that no one else wants to do. 
in our imperfect lives. Maybe it's extending a bit of grace to someone caught up in the struggle, or maybe it's extending a bit of grace to ourselves. Maybe it's the courage just to get up in the morning on a day when life has dealt you a lousy hand and to grasp the hand of a friend and take that next step toward healing. This morning's scripture has a clear and a lovely invitation. This text invites us to name our deep hurt, to name with our sisters and brothers, our siblings in the faith, the deep hurts of the world. This text invites us to lay down our power and our privilege, our sense that we know the answers, that we can fix things if we just work hard enough and think hard enough. This text invites us to lay all that down and lean into each other and into God and find the healing we may have overlooked in the grace of small things done with great love. So the invitation, the practice for this week is to look for and to embrace the grace of small things. Like Naaman, look for the healing in small things that may have gone unnoticed until now, but not just that, embrace the practice. What's one small thing you can do and then another for the healing of others, for your own healing, towards the healing of the world, small things great love. At the beginning of this morning scripture, the young girl, enslaved and far from home, she breaks the silence that the powers have imposed on her and she speaks the word that sets all this healing into motion. And by the end of the story, standing in that river with Naaman, here's what we find. God sends God's word, God's healing word, not in and through the world's power and privilege, but in our vulnerability, in the tender ways that we acknowledge that we need God, that we need each other in all the ways that we care for each other and love the world, one small thing and then the next. This text calls us to lay down our power and our privilege, to embrace vulnerability, to say, God, you are God and I am not, and then to go out together in God's grace, in God's love, and God's power, and bring God's healing word to a broken and a hurting world, God's healing word alive in us. Small acts, great love.